good evening. This will be uh, the regularly scheduled city council meeting for April 11th, 2023. Can we start with a roll call? Council Agency Authority Member Stockton? Here. Richie? Silva? Here. Chapman? Here. Roberts? Here. Vice Mayor Wiley? Mayor Carley? Here. Please stand with me for a moment of silence. Member Stockton, will you lead this in the pledge? Yes. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. With that, um, do we have any changes to tonight's agenda? No, we do not, Mr. Mayor. All right. So. That to have a motion. Motion to approve the agenda. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Item four, approval of the minutes. I have a motion on that. A motion to approve. I'll second. All right. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? And seeing none, we will move on to item five. Tonight we do have a presentation. It is the 2023 Fair Housing Month Proclamation. And uh, I'll start by reading this proclamation and then we can go from there. So whereas the principle of fair housing is not only state and national law and policy, but a fundamental human concept and entitlement for all citizens and discrimination based on race, national origin, gender, disability, familial status, religion, marital status, and sexual orientation and source of income is illegal in California. And as a community, we welcome all good neighbors, recognizing the contributions and richness uh, tendered by a wide variety of young and old, male and female, people of all colors and ethnic backgrounds, religious traditions, and interested parties from both the private and public sectors will participate in a city, state, and national effort to promote fair housing. Now, therefore, be it resolved that I, John Carley, mayor of the city of Vacaville, and on behalf of the Vacaville City Council, do hereby proclaim April 2023 Fair Housing Month. So with that, I know that there is somewhat of a, a presentation and we welcome you to come forward and, and I will hand this proclamation over to you for now. Very much. Carly and council members, each April nationwide, we commemorate the passage of the Fair Housing Act 55 years ago, April 11th, 1968. This year, the theme is Choices for All Voices, Building an Equitable Future. The Fair Housing Act prohibits discrimination in the housing transactions based on the race, color, national origin, religion, sex, including sexual orientation and gender identity, familial status, source of income and disability. Celebrate the Fair Housing Month, Housing and Community Services Department has scheduled a fair housing workshop on April 18th in partnership with Legal Services of Northern California and HUD's Department of Fair Housing and Equal Opportunity. Workshop is for owners, property managers, and tenants. We also have a fair housing essay contest is underway. Um, the community is encouraged to submit 100 words or less 
answering why is fair housing important to you and how would you support the Fair Housing Act? Entries for this essay are due on April 28th for a chance to receive a $25 gift card. Flyers are available at the council chamber's doors this evening, or you can call the 707-449-5675 for more information. And then tonight, we'd like to recognize the city of Vacaville's commitment to fair housing for our community. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for all the work that city staff is doing. I think this is a really good opportunity. I know it's not up on the screen, but there is a QR code and people are getting very used to using them. I think it is important that we really do our best to, to reach a community and help answer the questions because sometimes navigating the, uh, the challenges of, of these services is not always easy. So, so thank you. With that, we will, uh, we will move on to our consent calendar. Does anyone on this council wish to pull an item from tonight's consent calendar? Jason. Yeah, I'd like to pull 6D. D or D? D. D. Delta. All right, 6D. Okay, and that is all right. And anyone from the, the public wishing to pull an item from tonight's consent calendar? Seeing none in the audience, uh, do I have a motion to approve the consent calendar? A through E minus D, so A, B, C, and E. We have a motion and a second. All in favor, say aye. 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 With that, uh, we will then take up item D. Mr. City Manager. So this is a uh, letter of opposition to uh, what we call SB uh, 423, and I've asked our Community Development Director, Aaron Morris, who prepared a, uh, the report in the packet tonight to give you an update on that particular item. Thank you, Mayor Carley, members and council. Um, as outlined in the staff report, um, SB 35 has been on the books for a number of years now. It has a, a sunset date um, of 2028, I believe, and this new law, SB 423, would permanently make this law, the SB 35, permanent. Um, and would essentially continue to constrain the city's local control over the development of certain housing types. Uh, it is important for the council to know that we have not yet um, received any SB 35 applications at the city of Vacaville. We don't have any pending. We haven't, haven't handled any, but this is another one of those laws, much like SB 330, uh, that takes the authority of the city of Vacaville away and, and puts it in the state's hands. And so uh, by adopting this motion, you would be um, uh, authorizing the mayor to send a letter to the state opposing this new law. Thank you. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, that's a question. I just wonder, can you give like a brief, a brief uh, overview of what the SB 35 and the SB 423 are? Uh, main thing is, yeah, I just want to get out the public so in case stuff does rise in the future that we're show that we're actually opposed and so that they have a general idea of what these two things are and why we're proposing this letter. Yeah, SB 35 in particular, um, part of why I think it hasn't, uh, we haven't had any projects in Vacaville is it currently requires that a pretty good chunk of the housing to be developed is deed restricted affordable and it requires a prevailing wage for the construction of the units. Uh, so this law has been used in other communities, but not so much here. Um, under the proposed 423 legislation, 
Um, this would actually authorize housing projects that meet these criteria to be approved everywhere. And that includes the coastal zone, which is something new. Um, previously, that was carved out. We don't have to worry about that here in Vacaville, though. Um, but basically, on a site that's 75% surrounded by development, zone for residential or mixed use, where a developer pays prevailing wage if there's more than 10 units involved, um, that they meet the city's objective standards in terms of zoning, um, zoning uh, metrics and whatnot. Um, and then as long as they also include that um, piece of affordable housing at a specified level, uh, the city has to approve the, the housing project without any um, discretionary review. So that's the gist of it. And this SB 423 would extend it as a permanent law versus as it currently is, and it was articulated when it was approved as a response to a housing crisis. The uh, SB 423, another piece I read in there is if that does go through. So even the general plan, if we add in inclusionary zoning across the board is like objective standards, that allows them to bypass that as well, correct? Yes, it provides a method for avoiding um, inclusionary housing. Thank you for that. And um, and with this, this is a, a city council item that we will vote on separately now that we pulled it. However, that it is a, a letter by the council opposing SB 423. I believe that we all believe in smart growth and making sure that we have the right kinds of housing, but what we don't want is, is the state to continue to ministerially take away the local control. Uh, it's not a one size fits all and, and we are not, we are part of the Bay Area, but we're not necessarily facing the same challenges. And so I for one strongly support this letter that we will, we will draft uh, and uh, well, you know, once we, Take this back to a vote. It was on consent, but with that, do I have a, do I have any other comments on this? Otherwise, I'll ask for a motion. I'll motion. We have a motion. Wait a minute. I'm gonna open up the public since we did that. So, thank you. Anyone from the public wanting to comment on item D? Seeing none, I will close public comment and bring it back for the motion. We have the motion. Do we have a second? We have a second here. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? All right, the motion passes. Thank you very much, Ms. Morris. Uh, now what we'll do is we'll move on to item seven, business from the floor. This is the time where anyone from the council that wishes to discuss something that is not on tonight's agenda, but is within our jurisdiction may come forward and address the council now. Seeing none, I will close business from the floor. I will move on to item eight. And we have no public hearings tonight. And so we are going to move on to item nine, business 9A. It's a draft safety element, environmental justice goals, policies, and action study session. Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the city council. As you mentioned, this is a review, a study session for our draft safety element and environmental justice goals, policies, and actions. Um, this is an item that uh, is mandated by the state now as part of our general plan update policies. And so with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Tyra Hayes from our uh, community development department and our uh, consultant team to give you an update on this uh, particular item. Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the city council, as the city manager mentioned, tonight's item before you is an informational session on the safety element and the environmental justice goals, policies, and actions. Here with me today is Joanna Jansen. She is a principal with the consulting consultant team named PlaceWorks. 
They are currently working with us on these two projects as well as our housing element. Uh, Mr. Jansen will be giving tonight's presentation. Great, thank you very much for that introduction, Tyra. I'm Joanna Jansen with PlaceWorks. Uh, thank you, Mayor and City Council members. It's an honor to be here tonight. I wanna give a brief presentation about both the safety element and the environmental justice and community health work um, that we have done to update Vacaville's existing general plan. I'm gonna start with the safety element. Uh, the safety element uh, now, it has to be updated every eight years, similar to and on the same schedule as your housing element. So that's part of why we're doing all of these um, elements at the same time. However, uh, your safety element is relatively recent and the majority of the policies and actions from your current general plan have remained in place. And we've really focused our updates on changes needed to stay current with state law. So that includes adding both more background information and mapping and data. Uh, as well as policies and actions about things like flooding and wildfires, um, in increased detail about how climate change might affect these hazards and make them worse or more dangerous in the future, how risks might be increased for specific vulnerable populations and also community assets like infrastructure, um, buildings, utilities, those kinds of things that might be vulnerable to hazards. Um, assessing what is currently available to protect against those threats and adding more detailed analysis about evacuations in case of disasters or emergency. Uh, we also incorporated the recently adopted Solano County Multi-Jurisdictional Hazard Mitigation Plan, which Vacaville is a part of. And by doing these steps, we make sure that Vacaville maintains and expands your eligibility for grant funding and post-disaster relief should it be necessary. At the outset, I wanna acknowledge that the safety element is part of really a network of multiple documents and regulations that help keep Vacaville safe. Um, so the safety element, like all of the components of the general plan, functions at a very high level as a policy document. It's intended to look forward to a 20-year horizon. Um, it doesn't manage the day-to-day -day activities of your police or fire department, for example. Um, and it doesn't say exactly uh, what to do in an emergency in every kind of disaster. That's handled in other documents like your emergency operations plan, which I know the city is currently updating and will be coming before you soon. Um, the local hazard mitigation plan, which I mentioned is um, actually something Vacaville participated in with other Solano County jurisdictions to really have a regional overview on hazards and how to respond to them and mitigate them. Um, and then your energy conservation and conservation action strategy or your ECAS, um, which helps to reduce the city's contribution uh, to climate change and protect against climate-related hazards. So all of those other very important documents help to um, improve safety in Vacaville along with the safety element. So I mentioned that one of the updates to the safety element was to um, add information about how climate change might exacerbate or worsen existing hazards in Vacaville. Um, and so some of the things that we anticipate happening in Vacaville over the lifetime of your updated general plan include additional disruption to agricultural activities from um, pests, from drought, extreme heat and flooding. I know there's not a lot of agriculture necessarily within the city limits, but certainly it's an important part of our local uh, economy here. So we wanna acknowledge that. Um, and what we see is that um, Folks in Vacaville who have the lowest resources, so folks who are living in poverty or dealing with homelessness, folks who are already experiencing the burdens of pollution, um, they are more vulnerable to some of the impacts of climate change that might include extreme heat. Um, you can imagine, for example, someone living in a home without air conditioning, um, how they might have a, that experience that impact differently than 
um, a home with air conditioning. So flooding, landslides, and wildfire are expected to both get potentially worse and also have greater impacts on persons with disabilities um, and senior citizens who might be less able to respond to those emergencies. Um, and there is some key infrastructure in Vacaville, including power lines and roadways that is at risk of damage and destruction from flooding, wildfires, and other hazards that are addressed in the safety element. Uh, we did change several new policies and actions, so this slide is not meant to be a complete list, um, but just given what we know are some of the particular priorities for the community, we wanted to mention um, some examples of new policies in the safety element for wildfire and for emergency response. So um, requiring development applications to be reviewed and approved by the fire department to ensure that everything's done to mitigate um, fire risk and then to facilitate post-fire recovery um, through geotechnical engineering, stabilizing slopes, controlling erosion, et cetera. And then under the topic of emergency response, we have a goal with several policies and actions underneath it, um, including adding requirements for new developments um, that are in hazard areas for wildland fires and for the 100-year floodplain to have access to at least two emergency evacuation routes uh, to make sure that folks don't get isolated or stuck in new developments in those hazard areas. And then to um, uh, ensure that communication systems used by emergency responders and city staff um, have resiliency and redundancy so that we're not relying on single channels of communication during a hazard event or an emergency. I'm gonna move on now and talk a little bit about the environmental justice element. Uh, this slide includes the definition of environmental justice under Senate Bill 1000, which is a state law that requires this topic to be addressed in general plans. Um, and it talks about the fair treatment of people of all races, cultures, and incomes. And I think that's, um, when we talk about environmental justice, we focus on this concept of fairness and also the idea that everyone uh, in Vacaville has the right to live in a community that is safe and healthy. Um, and so interchangeably in Vacaville's general plan, we have used both the terms environmental justice, but also the term community health to really express what we're um, trying to capture and what we've heard from the community is important to Vacaville residents. Uh, state law asks us to do two things in looking at environmental justice. One is to identify whether or not there are any disadvantaged communities. Uh, that's the term used in SB 1000. A disadvantaged community is a place where we see both a significantly higher pollution burden than there are in other communities. So think of a neighborhood that like might be right next to a factory or a landfill that that place is experiencing a higher pollution burden or right next to the freeway, for example. Um, and socioeconomic impacts like um, lower educational attainment, higher rates of poverty or unemployment, for example. So when we see both of those two um, conditions existing in, a, in an area or a neighborhood, um, that is what the law defines as a disadvantaged community. Um, and it, for, when we have those kinds of communities, then we look at policies and actions to improve the conditions in those communities and to address health concerns in those communities by improving air quality, making sure that everyone has equitable access to public facilities, healthy food, safe and sanitary homes, opportunities for physical activity, recreation, exercise, um, and also opportunities for civic engagement and participation in city decision-making. And then um, adding policies and actions that the city will prioritize improvements in those neighborhoods to address the health needs um, of residents there. 
to support these planning efforts, the state of California has compiled um, one tool that is uh, very helpful in identifying disadvantaged communities. It's called Cal Enviro Screen. Uh, we took a look at the data that's compiled um, for Vacaville and that's shown here on this slide. This tool measures 21 different indicators of both different types of pollution or contamination and other population characteristics, um, such as educational attainment and unemployment and poverty rates, um, and then calculate scores both for each one of those individual indicators and a cumulative total score for every census tract in California. This map shows the census tracts um, in Vacaville and compares um, all of the census tracts in California to the rating. So everybody you know, gets a score out of 100 and the higher scores have more impacts. And so the higher scores represent um, places with a worse combination of conditions. Um, the highest scores, as you can maybe tell from this legend, are represented in red and dark orange. And we don't see any of those here in Vacaville. Um, so the good news is that on a statewide level, most of the census tracts in Vacaville are kind of cumulatively at a 50 to 60% or better. So you're doing better than about half of the census tracts. And in some cases, um, much better than that, where you see the darker green census tracts. Um, but nevertheless, there are still some maybe smaller pockets or neighborhoods in Vacaville um, where there are some citywide issues that we wanna take a closer look at. Um, throughout Vacaville, asthma in particular really came up as a prevalent issue. That's true for every census tract in Vacaville. This map that I showed you on this previous slide is the cumulative score for all of the 21 indicators. But if you look only at the one indicator for Vacaville, um, all, this, all of those um, census tracts are scoring in the 70% or above. Some of them are 80% or above, meaning that you're um, worse off than most of California in terms of asthma rates here in Vacaville. Um, other things that came up in the data were um, higher than average rates of pesticide use or hazardous waste, higher than average unemployment. Um, and this combines kind of both the data from the state as well as feedback that we got through our public um, input process. So we also identified um, street tree and shade equity as an issue, um, potential groundwater contamination, public concerns about solid waste, animal waste and litter, as well as community concerns about violence and public safety that affect um, people's health and security in Vacaville neighborhoods. I mentioned asthma um, already, so I, I won't go um, back over that, um, except to say again, to reiterate that this is an issue citywide in Vacaville. It is something that um, we added policies in the general plan to address. Asthma can be caused by both genetic and environmental causes. Um, obviously for environmental causes, that's something the city has more ability to address. Uh, car and truck pollution, dust particles from agriculture, as well as pesticide use. Um, and then interior air quality from things like mold and mildew, um, dust, pets, the type of cleaning chemicals that we choose to use. Um, so some, we did uh, connect with the Solano County Public Health Department, which has, has um, initiatives and programs to address asthma in Vacaville and throughout Solano County. Um, the general plan has new policies and actions to continue to work with the County Health Department, as well as to educate property owners and tenants about air quality inside homes, and that's the effect on um, asthma, and adopting new guidelines for development within 500 feet of highways and busy roads where uh, those air quality impacts are really the most severe. 
uh, for other community health policies, we really added these throughout the general plan. So the safety element that I talked about earlier is one single standalone element. Um, the community health and environmental justice policies are throughout multiple elements of the general plan because they do affect and are affected by so many different aspects of, of life and of our built environment here in Vacaville. So some of the new policies and actions include um, more control over land uses that pose health hazards, um, requiring developers to demonstrate um, more information about contamination on their sites, additional mitigation of noise pollution, um, ideas for engagement using culturally sensitive methods that could include language translation, for example, um, seeking feedback on city decisions through simple methods like surveys that are more accessible for people to um, access and using partnerships with community-based organizations to really connect with um, the community as some examples, as well as additional improvements for biking and walking. So a lot of these topics are already in your general plan and we've kind of added more or strengthened some of the um, policies and actions. When we would talk about healthy food, we wanna encourage neighborhood markets to sell fresh fruits and vegetables, maybe do some more mapping and exploration to understand healthy food options in neighborhoods. Um, and we added several policies about various aspects of expanding parks and recreational facilities for Vacaville res residents, including potentially through joint use agreements with schools, um, mental health programming and recreational programming um, and prioritizing uh, water and wastewater in infrastructure improvements in underserved areas of the general plan. Um, again, I just wanna acknowledge that there were already a lot of community health ideas in your existing adopted general plan. And we certainly wanna build on those strengths and successes. So these are some of the topics that are already in your general plan that we um, kind of added to and amplified air pollution, healthy food, access to healthcare, um, public participation, multimodal transportation, biking and walking um, and parks and recreation facilities are all stuff that is already addressed in the general plan. It's very important to understand the needs and the hopes of the communities that we're talking about that are affected by these issues. So we held a number of community engagement activities throughout this process. Those included uh, a vir two virtual workshops, input from the public county public health department, as I mentioned, um, an open house uh, at the Boys and Girls Club and a visit to a classroom um, with students at Markham Elementary School, which was really a treat. Through all of those various um, sources of community input, here are some of the points that we heard from your residents. Uh, folks are interested in continuing to expand biking and walking facilities um, to continue to address and improve air quality, as well as the lack of maintenance um, and building code violations at some of residential homes, encouraging and expanding food access through um, home gardens or community gardens. Uh, they'd like to hear a little bit more upfront about um, tree removals. They'd like to see more parking for electric cars. Um, we heard about needs to address mental health, suicide awareness, um, cleaning up trash in public spaces, addressing substance use and gang-related violence, um, and really uh, considering the specific needs of Vacaville's youth. Uh, some of the topics they told us that they were concerned about were smoking, diabetes, being included um, in outreach, uh, and parks. We, this is a draft element uh, that we're bringing to you tonight for additional feedback. Um, and we did have, uh, an on, we still have an online survey available since March and for a couple more days now. Um, we are then going to be 
including all of the input that we've received into any final revisions to both the safety element and the environmental justice element and bringing those back to first the planning commission and then to this council um, for ultimate adoption uh, tentatively planning on that early this summer. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation and I will say the staff report may be a few pages long, but when you start looking at all the attachments, you can spend an entire evening, then some trying to grasp the uh, the depth of this. So uh, that was a very brief presentation. And I know I speak not just for myself, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of details in this. Um, I'm going to open up to questions here on the, on the, the council before I open up to the public in case there are any. I, I do want to throw a, a few questions your way just um, so that there's a good understanding. When you did the community outreach, um, and it's hard to give a grade, but how, how participative would you say the community was either uh, virtually or in person? Because sometimes it tends to drive the direction of, of a project like this with very few people. Um, sure, I'm, I can uh, start and I'm uh, definitely want to ask uh, Tyra to jump into um, I facilitated the two virtual workshops um, and I would say that their turnout was relatively small. We would certainly always welcome more people being part of the conversation. Um, we did get high quality input and I particularly appreciated um, both the residents uh, and also the county public health staff who have been part of our process um, so far. I know that um, one uh, a great source of input that we got was from the open house, which um, I was not at in person, but Tyra was. And um, we connected with um, some youth, Vacaville youth and um, folks that helped to coordinate uh, youth activities here in Vacaville and really helped us connect with kind of a, a deeper well um, of some of the younger residents to hear their voices as part of the process. Um, so that in addition to our visit to the elementary school was um, definitely a high point. And my other question is, is, as you use the tool under SB 1000, it's very interactive, the website. I will say you start driving into the census tracts and then look at 21 different areas. Was there any discussion between your, your, um, your search and research along with staff to determine whether or not the tool itself was correctly aligned with the issues that we're seeing here? I, I would presume our staff could see the difference between a census tract where education is 100 and then you're looking at Lagoon Valley. You realize that there is no school out there and there's really no one living out there. And so I would hope that there would have been some interaction with that. Can you speak to that? Sure. Um, the, the concerns about how accurate and applicable statewide data can be um, are, are definitely well known and are a feature of Cal Enviro screen. So it's, it's a useful tool, but to a point. So, um, it's not a requirement that we use that tool or only that tool and cities are encouraged to add local knowledge, whether that's from the staff level, from residents or decision makers uh, to help refine our analysis um, of existing conditions and then shape the policies. So um, we did use that kind of as a starting point, but then we also went a little bit further to compare Vacaville census tracts, not to the state, but just to each other and kind of see, okay, within Vacaville, we know looking at California as a whole, um, a lot of these census tracts are relatively um, you know, un unaffected by some of these issues. But if we only compare to other census tracts in Vacaville, then we see some of those disparities um, come out a little bit more higher. So 
we didn't only rely on the statewide data, but we also kind of narrowed into a more city limits um, focus and worked with staff to kind of understand exactly within these census tracts where might these issues be most, most acute. Thank you. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, kind of following up on with what the mayor brought up was collecting data. Like we all know the virtual aspect, the workshops, don't reach the low income demographics really at all. Cause one, they either don't have access to Zoom or Teams, whatever we're using. Uh, for the other workshops that were done in person outside the school, uh, kind of like the issue I have with this fair housing workshop is it's held during business hours. So the people that you would get input from aren't available to go cause you're asking them to give up their hourly wage job to go to one of these workshops. And being in the public health realm myself is yeah, I think it's the the data can be quite misleading by the way it's presented because the two areas that show the biggest issues in Vacaville are the most affluent neighborhoods in the city. Uh, like the whole Alamo side, houses over there are easily a million dollars, like 500,000 a million easy. And then the areas such as Markham, Callan Street, uh, the likelihood of anybody even having input from that neighborhood is very likely. I'd be surprised if anybody uh, contributed to that and that's where you have like the lower income apartments where you would have the mold and like lower income housing so when you look at that is like yeah if you just look at that map alone it's almost opposite of what it would be in real life if you went block neighborhoods which is why a lot of places are adopting what's called a casper method surveying 210 households where people go door to door get census information on specific topics and yeah, so I think that's one, one of the main issues with this. And then yeah, community outreach is we really need to start getting away from virtual because yeah, it doesn't get true input from this people that really need this, like social justice is, or environmental justice. It's not targeting the people that you're actually trying to help. Um, yeah, so those are my comments on that. Thank you. Did you want to comment on that or sorry? Um, I much appreciate it. I think that's totally valid. Um, I will say that we are, while we we did hold one of the the in-person outreach event that we did hold was in one of the affected um, neighborhoods at the Boys and Girls Club in the evening, late afternoon and evening, early evening um, hours. However, I totally agree with your comments that for a lot of these families that are most affected by these issues, they're working multiple jobs, they don't have childcare, they may not have transportation. It is a very challenging population to reach and to really listen to. Um, and part of the reason why we, we do, why this work is deemed necessary um, is because there's not necessarily a history of a lot of trust or a lot of communication um, with various levels of government and with these folks who are most affected by these issues. So uh, I, I absolutely acknowledge those challenges. Um, and that's part of why we added some of the policies and actions to the general plan to support culturally sensitive outreach, bearing in mind what hours are most accessible to people or what locations might be more comfortable for people, what languages might be most effective um, at reaching different populations in Vacaville. Um, and then finally, just to note that a lot of the policies and actions that we've added don't necessarily um, rely on or focus on a particular neighborhood or a particular housing project, but they're really community-wide. So ideas about informing landlords about um, you know, indoor air quality, for example, would really apply throughout um, Vacaville. So we hope to reach some of those um, uh, homes that need it most, but uh, it's kind of 
intended to be applicable as broadly as possible. Um, I'd like to just dovetail on what Joanna just shared. When we held our meeting on March 8th at the Boys and Girls Club, in addition to our traditional ways of advertising neighborhood meetings, we also sent out approximately 1,200 notices in both English and in Spanish to the area around the Boys and Girls Club, focusing on those areas that may have additional low-income households. Thank you. Councilmember Stockton. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Um, thank you for the questions that were asked earlier by my colleagues. How much local data, data generated by the city was used to formulate, you know, your assessment for what you uh, I would say that we relied primarily on the state level data as sources that have been you know, collected and embedded at the state level. And then that was reviewed by city staff for the kind of applicability and any refinements that need to be made uh, for Vacaville. We also um, got additional information from um, the Solano County Public Health Department, more specific here to uh, Solano County, um, although maybe not refined down to the specific Vacaville level. Okay, and the only reason why I'm curious is because if there's debt, if we're, I share the same concerns about looking at what the map looks like with what we know just from knowing Vacaville. Um, but I also recognize that we have a fire department that provides ambulance services, which is unique to our community. And there may be data that maybe would show statistically some of the concerns that we have locally. Um, I know that clearly we have um, geo mapping with where we respond to calls for service with the police department and with different different things like that they go out to. So I'm curious as to whether or not those databases can be utilized for future assessment to bring to council to maybe more accurately, or, you know, I know you're showing a larger view, but to more accurately maybe show some of the data that we really do have that could provide that. And then also I'd be interested in knowing if there's additional data that we may be easily able to obtain as a city. Um, that may be helpful in some of these other areas as well. Uh, I don't know how you measure hazardous waste. Like, you know, so, um, you know, some of these, some of the things that were brought up, um, I'm, you know, I'm not really sure, you know, how to, how to make sense out of that and then see how it weighs into everything. But I would be interested in knowing what local data that we already have or maybe can easily obtain could be utilized. Sure. Um, so in this case, uh, state law really encourages local jurisdictions to customize the analysis um, as you see fit. So uh, there may be types of indicators that are not addressed in the state uh, database that you would like to address here in Vacaville. You could do that. Um, additional data sources that you have access to, you can analyze those. Um, you know, uh, ground truthing efforts. So yes, if the city in the future chooses to do additional analysis and uh, modify any of the mapping or background information or policies um, in the general plan, that's uh, certainly within your, your purview. And then I know that you said that you didn't have a, a large amount of people that, you know, as many as we'd like to. We'd like every citizen to submit a survey so that we could have the most accurate information as possible. But how many total did we get? We have a number. Um, I would say total, probably somewhere between twenty and thirty different interactions, maybe. And then, lastly, um, sorry, lastly, 
do we anybody at the city i don't know if chief ian knows or if this would fall under the fire marshal but who how many people do we have dedicated to enforcing some of the guidelines policies and actions that we already have on file with the city that affect uh, some of the health issues that you brought up how many people do we have with the city that are working on those or enforcing them So all the policies that, that are located in the general plan, they start off being reviewed and discussed with the appropriate, whether it be department or the city council at times, to determine how best to enforce those policies and actions. So you may recall most recently, we had shared, we being the community development department, has shared with both the planning commission and the council, the annual status of the general plan report. As part of that, we have to respond and provide an update to every single action that's identified in the general plan. And if approved, some of these actions you've seen today for both the safety element and the environmental justice element will be included in that report moving forward. If we realize we've not yet responded to one of these actions, that's when we come back to the council and ask, okay, we've not yet done anything. Here are some recommendations. How would the city council like to proceed? And at that point in time, we take our direction from the council and we move forward. That explanation. Councilmember Chapman. Thank you. Um, give the questions that have already been asked. I'm dovetailing right on the end of it because it was, um, I wanna know about the uh, participation with the survey. I understand that it began in March and it ends on the 17th of April. Uh, qualitatively, um, what percentage of the population or how many members, individuals will need to complete the survey for it to be uh, justified as, as the data being useful or, you know, you'll have to toss it out. So possibly not to date, what is it looking like for you as far as the survey is concerned? Sure. Um, so we have the survey in two different formats. One is a hard copy that we used, for example, um, at the Boys and Girls Club, and one is a survey that's um, been available online. Um, and we just wanted to make sure that it was there as an option. It's available in both English and Spanish. Um, however, it's not intended to be a scientifically, a statistically valid survey that is representative of the citywide population. Um, so we're not intending for it to be uh, representative, for example, of the entire city or of likely voters. I'm sure you're familiar with those kind of surveys and the methodology for identifying participants and finding a random sample of several hundred um, local residents. Uh, this is a very different type of effort. This is really just to create an additional option um, for folks who, for example, might feel more comfortable submitting comments in writing rather than standing up and giving them verbally, or maybe they have an idea outside of the meeting and they want a chance to submit that. So we just wanna give a chance to capture some input and make sure that we're giving people a chance to be heard um, rather than trying to create a, a statistically significant sample size. Councilmember Silva. <clears throat> Uh, thank you. Um, so I just got. I know you said questions, but uh, great. I really appreciate you all coming out to the to the school to the community leadership club. Uh, Tyree, nat natural teacher. Um, I was. I said last time. I just sh wanted to shut up, sit down, and just listen. So um, compliments for you for making me do that. Um, so the the just real quick. Um, are there? You don't have. I don't expect you to have it today, but. 
um, if you get around to it in the coming weeks, can you forward maybe examples of census tracts or examples that show census tracts that, sh that uh, basically represent um, different disparities based on uh, the metrics that, that uh, you showed here in Vacaville? I'm just kind of curious to see what, what cities actually look like um, that indicate that they have um, disadvantaged communities. Um, <clears throat> and then I think you've already clarified on uh, the fact that just because it doesn't show necessarily something within a census tract, that it's still up within the purview of city council to um, kind of direct or acknowledge other uh, uh, disparities that may exist. Um, you know, and, and in many ways, I would even argue certain neighborhoods in Vacaville, you know, because quite commonly, traditionally, you know, we, t we talk a lot about Markham as being predominantly um, a lot more deep restricted relatively to the rest of the town. But I would even myself, I would argue that uh, there's other um, uh, developments, other apartments that are far uh, probably experiencing far more disparities than um, than what I've seen in other areas of town. So, um, so I, uh, but I think you've explained that um, that within the plan allows flexibility to address those issues as well. <clears throat> so, um, the the question I do have, I, I know we talk a lot about um, the level of engagement. Um, I think part of, you know, just speaking for myself, I think part of that is making sure we're not just trying to do a checkbox approach, um, that we're actually out there engaging folks. Um, I know there's a, a slew of different reasons that we give or that we provide folks um, or try to help explain why we see low engagement. Um, one area that I, that I think is common, um, aside from cultural uh, norms or, uh, you know, different apprehension that people may have speaking up or attending or, or work, uh, all of those are very valid, real um, experiences. But I think part of it is, is it worth my time? Um, if I provide this feedback, uh, am, I, am I actually gonna hear anything back? Or do people actually care? And so I think one challenge I think for any, any third party consultant group, anybody on staff is how do we set up some type of feedback mechanism when somebody submits their input that we at least acknowledge, not that we just generically received it, um, but what did that result in? And, um, and uh, I don't think we, I, I, I don't feel that there's any solid plan that exists out there, um, but I think that's something that's um, uh, important as we move forward and not just in getting soliciting feedback, but how we expand that to other aspects um, of uh, sustaining a society. So um, real quick question that I uh, have, and then I'll shut up because I, I wanna get everybody out of here by like 710. <clears throat> um, themes that came back from community input, what do you do with that input? Uh, so can you elaborate just a little bit more on that? So more specifically, do you verify that input with any type of data? Um, or do we, does the city staff and say, oh, you know what, I can't verify that with data because we just don't collect it. And is that something that we want to collect data to look at moving forward? Um, so. Yeah, I think it's, it's both. If we look at these themes, um, you know, for example, uh, to take maybe a more straightforward one, um, expanding bicycle and walking facilities to promote physical activity, that's a concept that's already in your general plan. Um, and so I think we can feel pretty comfortable saying, taking a look at those policies and actions and thinking, is there, is there a little bit more that we could do? Is there, could we strengthen one of these policies? Could we add a couple of new actions? Um, to seek funding or to develop a plan, for example, to improve biking and walking facilities um, without necessarily feeling like we need to uh, devote a lot of city resources towards digging up data about exactly how many miles of bike trails or 
um, you know, we can we can feel pretty good about making some of those revisions without necessarily doing um, a lot of research. And some of these things are really about um, maybe individual personal attention, like how clean I feel like the trail that I use is or the sidewalk or how safe do I feel um, using a facility or being outside um, or how is my mental health and does, do I wish that I had access to more resources. Um, and so some of these things we can weave into the general plan exactly to your point to make people um, see where their input is going in the plan um, and how it's being used. So sometimes we might feel ready to go ahead and draft a policy based on the input that we've received. Sometimes we do a little bit more research. Um, one of the things we looked at was um, other communities where they said they'd like to see healthier food. What have they done that actually worked? Um, you know, did it, did it work? Uh, you know, uh, for anyway, I won't go into that. But so we did research about other communities as well as finding data. Um, uh, and then we might put in an action to study an item more if we feel like we don't have enough data today to make this decision, um, but we'd like to do more on it in the future. And, uh, I'm sorry, and the very quick last point, I think uh, it's something that's come up the last couple of years that I've, I've been on the council, but um, as an elected representative of uh, what are now districts in, in Cal, in a, in Vacaville, most of California, uh, that um, that I think in many ways, uh, as much as we always want to see uh, more input from the community at large, um, the feedback that I get from folks is, Mike, that's why I voted for you, or Mike, I didn't vote for you, but that's what I expect you to do. So, um, in many ways, I, I think that's also part of this the the data input um, that we ultimately decide on. So, thank you, Councilmember Roberts. Yes. One more quick question earlier. Um, when it comes to, like, I know you mentioned like the wildfires, floods, all the type of stuff, uh, but one that's becoming more and more of an issue lately is PSPS events from PG&E or uh, SMUD or whoever's doing it. Is Did you guys have to pull data from PG&E's from the Empower list for the Medicare, Medicaid folks that if the power was shut off could create medical emergencies? Because I know every year when they shut it off, you hear some, somebody dying because their equipment got shut off. Uh, did you look at that? Because I know that can create a strain on the fire department with them being our EMS. And I think, yeah, with VACA with their population of people that are over 55 in certain areas of the city that can create a, a safety hazard within itself, even though it's not directly a, a disaster. Sure. Um, so as I mentioned, in terms of the safety element, um, we primarily focused on making sure that we're updating the element to respond to state law. So we kept our focus um, pretty sharply on those topics that I mentioned, wildfire, flooding, additional data, um, evacuation, et cetera. Uh, PSPS is, I think you just gave some great reasons why they have a direct impact on, on public safety and public health. Um, it's not something that we've addressed so far and that data source that you mentioned, um, but certainly that's part of what we're here to do tonight is to hear your feedback and suggestions for how we can continue to strengthen um, the element. So if that's part of your direction, we're definitely happy to hear that. County side of things. Uh, is yeah, it's a requirement that I have to pull that report like every, almost every month to uh -huh. see what's changed and put together, include that in our EOP. Um, yeah, because it's becoming more and more of an issue. Is it's fairly regular every year now that right. they shut off power, either high wind or fires or. Something. Yeah, and you're making a great point there too, which is that um, there is somewhat of a judgment call sometimes for every jurisdiction about 
um, what topics we address at what level of detail in the EOP, in the multi-hazard jurisdiction uh, plan, and in the safety element. And the safety element, again, is, is pretty high level and it's very long-term. Um, so we, we may not go into a lot of granular detail about the specific um, data, on, but uh, we can certainly acknowledge that issue in the element. Okay, thank you. Open up to the public for comment on this item. Wishing to speak on this, come forward. Staff, public, um, pardon me if I don't hear you well because uh, I got a plugged ear right now and I'm wearing my hearing aid, but it's, I may not hear you. So if I ask you again, pardon me, okay? Um, but um, I came here because I happened to look at the uh, your agenda for tonight. I always try to check your city agenda at the library and I thought that was a good time to come back. And uh, anyway, um, I just wanna say to you, give you a little feedback because I don't wanna, I don't wanna miss this boat. I think you're in the right direction. I'm glad you're doing that. You're trying to reach the public. And I think you got really beautiful response from the public. So I think all of you, regardless of who you are in the city, you should follow that. No matter what it is, grab it, follow it, find out how you can improve it, okay? But I can't help it but uh, say to you, and pardon me if I don't wanna go beyond the three minutes, but um, I think this gives me an opportunity to ask you. I don't think, if you can correct me on this, I don't know all the politics and all the policies, how they're interrelated with the state and the county, you know? But I do know that Vacaville, because the, the Solano County is not part of the air quality. Uh, they're not, we don't work with them. Other counties get shut down when the pollution gets ugly, you know, for whatever. And, and I don't think back of it. So think about that. I've been wanting to say that to you for years, but I haven't given you that problem. <laughs> um, hopefully it's a solution. Um, think about it. But the other thing is that uh, uh, I'm glad you're, I'm not surprised about the asthma. I think it's wonderful. We had problems with our son, asthma. It didn't get better until he had a cat or dog, you know, a, a cat, you know, they really helped. But uh, Bacchabell's known for that. Kaiser knows all about Bacchabell's problems with asthma. So think about the kinds of trees that you put out there in the streets, in our open areas. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of beautiful cherry blossom trees of some sort. They're beautiful. Like, let me get you, I, I like them but they're not good for your respiratory problems. If you've got asthma, you're asking for trouble. If you don't have it, you're gonna have problems. Anyway, um, the other thing is that uh, I would like to think for you to think about putting safety along the bike trails, walking trails. I use them, I walk them, I exercise with them. That's the best thing to do is walk, but I like to make sure that they're safe. And there's been problems. I take Alamo uh, uh, bike trail, it's a beautiful trail there. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll see birds and all kinds. But anyway, so think about that. Um, you're, you're in the right direction, just keep pushing. And don't wait for the public to respond, go after them. You know, I'd like to see you mail a survey of what you're doing with this particular issues. So like you send one for the parts and rec, I spent a lot of time responding to you. I'm sure you appreciated it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? It's an important topic, but 
and sometimes the challenge is, is not everybody wants to weigh in. So with that, I'm gonna close public comment, bring it back to the council for any further discussion or comments. Council Member Silver. Um, so just uh, for the time's sake, I, I sent an email before, so and I think a lot of it's covered here, but if there's anything more, I'll just follow up with another email. And uh, to the public comment, uh, it never came to city council, but um, the Solano Yolo air quality, they actually put an air monitor in the school bus yard uh, on Brown Street. Um, so data is being collected now. And actually the kids are supposed to analyze it. So kind of cool. Project for the kids. Councilmember Chapman. Thank you. Um, I wanted to share that um, maybe a decade, well, about 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, a little further, the county, uh, Savannah Co Coalition uh, for Better Health, uh, comprised of uh, primarily the presidents or the CEOs of all the health uh, institutions here in the county. Um, they would meet monthly and they would discuss topics of interest in regards to all the residents uh, within the county. When the reports would come in from the state, the, uh, we would review, um, assess them, and look at where the greatest disparities were occurring occurring in the, in the uh, county. Uh, the year that I was on the board, the uh, uh, Vallejo, uh, there were a couple of pockets in Vallejo, and there was the one here in Vacaville that were um, explored by the group. Um, the highest disparities during the time were among African-Americans, among the Blacks, and it was their health, primarily diabetes, uh, diabetes, heart, uh, cardiac heart conditions, and uh, asthma. And so um, there was a committee that was formed, uh, created for the purpose of get, get, um, taking the, the information and coming up with um, ways to begin to address the, the uh, disparities among the identified group. It proved to be quite successful. Uh, the committee that was formed, they, they had someone from each uh, city to be on the, and we had health, health professionals from many of the institutions that, that was there. So there was meat, there was, when I say meat, there was the opportunity for this information to go up and we were able to uh, get results. So I just want to put that out there as you gather this data. And when we look at some of the things, just like right now among our youth, suicide is off the hook. That is the, the, uh, the highest cause of youth deaths today is suicides among our teens. That is awful. That is terrible. So that means we may have, not we may, but you know, as we pursue this, we need to bring the schools and the youth to the table. And we've been talking about the youth round table, um, bringing it back. And, and so anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. there this has been looked at before uh, on a county-wide basis. So um, information is out there, yeah, on how to address some of this. Thank you. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, um, just one last comment for like moving forward, as I mentioned earlier, like I mentioned Casper, I forgot that not everybody understands his acronyms. Um, I don't know how they came up with that acronym. Emergency managers aren't the best with it. It's a community assessment for 
public health emergency response. Uh, what they did is they, adapt, they adapted a methodology used for epidemiology to collect information, whether it's water quality, air quality, I think Santa Clara used it for mosquito abatement for tracking mosquito populations. And so it's just a methodology used and it's proven to be like fairly statistically accurate to represent a whole community with not having to sample a large amount. So it like evenly distributes. So moving forward when we're addressing stuff like this, especially if we want to be more backable specific and not necessarily that 30,000 foot view of it, I think using that type of methodology, either that one or something similar would be very useful moving forward for the next time we have to do this. And I, I have a few comments as well. Um, and just to follow that theme, what when I looked at the resources that is out there prior to this coming to council, it had gone to the planning commission and there's just, there's a lot of different parts of this that are weighing into the different um, policies and, and elements that we have, whether it was the land use element, transportation, conservation, open space, parks and recreation and public uh, facilities. So we have a lot of these elements that really do um, speak into what our policies are going to be, which I think are very robust. Most of the public would have, whether they have the interest or not, if they have not taken the time to educate themselves, they may really not understand how much goes into long-term policy development. And uh, a couple of thoughts on that um, that I wanted to comment on is it is clear that there has been some additional con you know, uh, evaluation other than the state's website and simply saying this is the metric because as I look at the metric, you know, we're not San Francisco and, and we're not in the middle of uh, complete rural agriculture. We have impacts, transportation shows the, the roadway and we can all say, well, we know why. And so the, the not, it, not being a hope, but the goal would be that in these processes that what we do is, is then we analyze these things. Why is it at the 90th, 98th percentile, I believe it is, out in Lagoon Valley on transportations because the metric. And so that we should be able to take these and actually identify what does that policy look like, but what can we do with those themes and are they, do they already exist? Because the real, the real benefit is, is we're trying to comply with SB 1000 and all the other uh, bills that come from Sacramento to impact and weigh in on what we're trying to do here locally. And then what we do is we look at it through the local lens and ask ourselves, is there value to it? And we should never discount the fact that there's value in some of what they're trying to get to, but we need to answer it locally. And so one of the, one of the takeaways as I see it, and you shared earlier is, is um, it's almost like they're going to the doctor. What was the test? And it was, do we have any, any as they refer to them, DACs or DACs, uh, disadvantaged communities? And it's as if we got a clean bill of health, but the truth is, is we didn't. Because we operate in neighborhoods. We operate in regions and districts and the uniqueness between a, a, the micro versus the macro region and where we're trying to grow has to weigh in on what this is gonna look like. And so if you could quickly go back to slide 12, I just wanted to make an observation. But while we're, we don't have any uh, disadvantaged communities that are by state definition, we know that there's work to do that can weigh into our, our public, our policies 
um, as we move forward. And so the input is, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to look up here because my, my froze up. When it says things like uh, uh, prohibit or control land uses that pose health hazards, especially when we look at all 19 uh, tracks are high in asthma, but so is the entire region. And so I wanna be careful that when we do weigh in on our, um, our general plan and, and promote policies, that what we don't do is just create unintended consequences that harm what we're trying to do here. So the, the goals sometimes are great, but if they don't consider the unintended consequence. One of those, I believe, as I saw this, and it may have been on another slide, but I wrote it down, it was um, one policy could be to adopt uh, new guidelines for um, those conditions 500 feet from any highway or busy roadway. Well, we pretty much, if we start adopting policies that can completely affect maybe along our highways or where we're doing or having growth, we need to make sure that they're not blanket policies, but they have to be potentially um, instructional policies to mitigate some of the challenges, knowing that we may not have full control because what comes in from, from allergies and asthma is not necessarily directly related to the specific location where we're at. It just happens to be we're in the pathway of the Bay Area. So we may not be able to solve the entire Bay Area's issues, but what we don't want is we don't want policies that begin to drive from 100 feet to 500 feet. And now the, the level of mitigation becomes uh, really un, you know, untenable for some development. We want, it in, we want to inform it, but what we don't want to do is just create this, all of a sudden now we, we really block our ability to have good policy because this is going to drive policy and I just want to be careful with that. I do believe we have disadvantaged neighborhoods. I do believe staff did, um, did some work on this that came before the planning commission that tried to look beyond the census tract and overlay them and actually inform in a better way. And it still didn't meet the state's requirements. So the good news is we've complied with SB 1000 but I would like to see that the takeaway is, is that we expand on some of these themes, see what it is that we're doing from department to department. But a good question is, is do, we have, do we have the right tools to really do the enforcement? Code enforcement obviously um, is usually complaint driven. So we're not out there proactively trying to enforce some things until it comes to our attention. And so I wanna just caution that when we start creating policies that are absolutes, that we choose those words carefully so that we can be more informative and versus something that's gonna be so descriptive that, that we lose our local control. Because that's what we need to do is maintain our local control while we're also complying with the state's guidelines. So those are my comments. I'm not sure if there's any other comments um, that you may wanna to respond to with that. I'm not looking for it because you're not, you're not finished yet, but that's mine. I don't see any other um, lights on here. And so for tonight, this is really just receiving this and the input from us. So I wanna thank you for bringing this to us tonight and uh, look forward to seeing what, what comes out of this when it comes back to council. Thank you. Thank you. All right, with that, we're gonna move on to um, item 9B, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council. Um, this particular item is the first of several informational study session items that uh, on some very important topics that staff wanted to bring before council for a variety of different reasons. Um, as you're all aware, we have two new council members um, that we've thrown a lot at in the short time that you've been on the council. 
we also had a very uh, robust state of the city update uh, here recently that showed that we're in the middle of doing some very exciting things in this community. And there's just an awful lot going on. And so what we wanted to do in preparation for uh, the council study session on May 12th um, is to bring these informational study sessions to you. Talk about some of those important topics of, of how we are doing what we're doing. What's the game plan? What is our vision? How do we ensure that we achieve that vision? And how do we work with all the other complications that are being thrown at us um, at the same time? You know, with the state, you know, new legislation that's coming from them about housing and, um, you know, local control or not. So with that, we wanted to start tonight with the first topic for, for your um, consideration is community land use vision and uh, implementation tools. And so with that, I've asked our community development director, Aaron Morris, to uh, work with me to present an overview of how the vision process works and how we implement that as kind of a kickoff to this particular dialogue. So with that, I'll turn it over to Ms. Morris. Uh, thank you very much, Mayor Carley and members of council. Um, my presentation may not get us out of here at 7.05 or 7.10. I apologize for that, but I will be going through it at a relatively brisk clip. Uh, tonight, I'm going to talk about the general plan vision, and this is the vision that's articulated in the city's adopted general plan, last updated in 2015. Um, we'll talk about the big vision. We'll talk about some of its component parts. I'm going to do a brief um, explanation of how the general plan is built, a combination of elements, some of which have been discussed this evening that I will not be rediscussing, as well as a land use diagram that shows where we're planning different kinds of land uses in our community. Again, this is the adopted general plan uh, that's in place. I'll talk about some tools that then implement the general plan at a finer grain level, specific plans, our land use and development code, uh, which is our zoning uh, code, um, how we use development agreements, how our development impact fee program plays a role. And then by then it'll either be midnight or it won't because the development review process part is fairly short this evening. And then I'll wrap up by expressing how our general plan envisions community involvement throughout all of these processes and how it has worked out so far. So taking it from the top. Uh, general plans, um, Vacaville's general plan, every general plan in California, it's really the bedrock of planning in, in our state and every city in California is required to have a 20 year general plan. Some people call it the constitution for planning development and conservation. It touches on other things too, but fundamentally it really is about the built environment and then the programs and policies that support a quality place for people to live. Uh, it is the fundamental basis for all local land use decisions. Um, and of course, we all know that the state law, state jumps in there and offers a few wrinkles sometimes, but it articulates the city's um, preferred um, local land use pattern and policies. Uh, it identifies and actually through the update process, which happens every 20 years, it wrestles with important community issues and then ultimately articulates that vision and those policies. And it identifies the things that generally staff and the council and others are going to do to implement the vision that it expresses. So um, I'm going to actually this is just going to keep going here. So at a very broad level, this is the verbiage from our general plan, and we're not doing a, a study session in all the text, but through the year 2035, this is our big vision, the city of Vacaville will continue to preserve and enhance the qualities that make it a great community in which to live, work, and play. Drawing on its many strengths, the city will grow in a manner that provides a high quality of life for all current and future residents and employees. So it's sort of hard to disagree with that vision because it's pretty general. As far as, as the council's heading into your strategic planning and you're thinking about this general plan and how it fits in with things you wanna do, 
there really are 10 topical areas the general plan includes right up in the introduction that are the focus of all of the goals and policies and actions that follow. So preserving Vacaville small town feel uh, by being a family friendly city, uh, promoting a balance of high quality housing and commercial development. And we've all been talking about that a lot lately with some of our high profile projects, supporting existing businesses while also attracting new businesses. Um, fostering community-oriented neighborhoods that are diverse, attractive, safe, walkable, and affordable. Uh, maintaining Vacaville's unique character by preserving historic and cultural resources. And then rounding our way through the remaining five, uh, meeting the transportation challenges of the future, protecting natural and scenic features, ensuring that our new development adheres to basic principles of high-quality design, uh, continuing to strengthen downtown uh, culture and identity, and finally, to preserve ag lands and create new park and open space lands. So again, these are specific, they're still pretty general, but this is the city of Vacaville's adopted vision. As you're going into your strategic planning, we hope you're thinking about how these things fit with your priorities for the city and what things you'd like your staff to focus on as we roll forward into the, into the years ahead. Um, so our general plan, like every general plan in California, has to have certain elements that discuss topics in a greater level of detail. And again, I won't be reading the whole general plan tonight. There are literally hundreds of goals, policies, and actions. So again, I'll, I'll be kind and try to keep it simple. Land use is fundamental. I'll spend a little bit of time on the land use diagram. Circulation, transportation planning, I mean, that comes up all the time and the city has a, an element that speaks to our goals, policies, and actions. We have a conservation and open space element that addresses all those things as well as energy, a noise element, and then of course the safety element that we just discussed at length. I'm gonna skip that slide. Um, the general plan land use element, um, frankly, is it's my favorite element, kind of planner, and that's how <laughs> planners think. Uh, we're always thinking about the built environment and what's happening in the built environment and what it is that, that people prefer or what makes it a nice place for people to live. Um, but in the case of our general plan, it, we are organized around these sort of big goals and then each topical area has sub goals and policies and programs. So community character and design, I think is pretty evident, having a very attractive community to live in and both protecting existing neighborhoods as well as ensuring that new ones are, are high quality. Uh, responsible and planned growth touches on so many things about how we plan our services, how we plan our infrastructure. Um, it gets into uh, really the nitty gritty of how we serve our community. Um, infrastructure and services for new development as an area, uh, residential neighborhoods, both existing and new, um, industrial research and development uses. This has been coming up a lot in the city. How much are we looking for? What does it do to benefit our community? Again, we have goals, policies, and actions that address that. Areas of special consideration is a really broad category, but we have policies for our downtown, for our Allison plan development area, our Northeast growth area, the urban reserve, like all these things are touched on in the general plan, which sets this policy framework. And I'd be negligent if I didn't mention, we have specific policies about our airport areas, including the importance of Travis and ensuring that as we plan our community and build things that we're never in conflict with either the nut tree or the Travis plans. So um, in land use planning worlds, this diagram is magical. And as lay people, when they look at it, like it's just a lot of colors on a map. So I'm just gonna say, I know there's a lot of colors on a map, but every single property in Vacaville has a general plan land use designation. 
and I'm going to zoom in a little bit because I think it's kind of hard to see. This is literally what as staff and also developers who are going to build here, this is what we, we roll from. It's There's a color for every property. The color articulates this what the city wants to have happen on that property over 20 years. And in the case of residential, um, there's different densities articulated by different colors on the map. So as you're taking in this diagram, probably not for the first time, I think the point I want to make is that a lot of Vacaville is designated residential low density, and that's all, um, almost all of our built areas and a lot of our new areas. And so part of the tension that we're seeing as your staff, as we are building out our community is how to facilitate other kinds of housing, since that's what our general plan calls for, while recognizing that our community is primarily right now a residential low density community. And that is consistent with the general plan land use diagram that you see before you. So again, I'm not gonna read all these policies, but I'm just trying to show through these slides that the general plan really touches it. And this is the adopted policy on all these goals that you as a council wrestle with, with individual projects, you as a council hear about from the public. Uh, but again, this is the vision that we all are working from as we bring projects to you. So we have the responsible and well-planned growth goals. Uh, we have a lot of goals about residential neighborhoods. One of the ones that I think is gonna warrant some further discussion with this council through some of the study sessions that are coming up and some of your strategic planning is about policy LUP 12.3. What kind of housing mix do we need? Um, in 2015, when the general plan was adopted, we said we were looking for 75% single family and 25% multifamily. We have new census data that's for the last decade and our community characteristics are changing. And we've also done our housing strategy. We have our new housing element. This is a policy that warrants some thought and discussion um, probably by this council um, and with our community. I'm gonna skip through the areas of, of consideration. There's a lot of them um, and just go on briefly to transportation. Uh, transportation, planning for transportation, figuring out how we can make Vacaville more walkable at the same time moving cars and people in cars to where they need to go. Our transportation element addresses all of these topics. Um, and anytime we start changing land use designations, um, we are always thinking about then how those transportation policies and plans are affected by by the change to those land use designations. Um, our open space and conservation element has a ton of stuff in it, not just about preserving natural communities, but also about air quality goals and our energy conservation action strategy. These still also inform new development in our community and are part of that vision of a quality place to live. Um, again, it gets into goals about water conservation, water supply um, in the general plan conservation element. That's where we have a policy that says that we will coordinate with the Travis Air Force Base on planning issues within its area of influence. Again, recognizing how important the Air Force is to our community. Um, when we get into the parks and recreation element, and again, these are part of those livable community visions that we have. This is where this is where our city articulates what is a neighborhood park and what's a community park and where are they supposed to go and what are they. It's not, it's not at the fine grain of those master plans that spring off of the general plan, but it still communicates that high level vision for for our community. Um, and then also the parks and recreation element when it comes to the council seeing development projects, for example. Um, and I, I can use green tree as an example. We will talk to you about the city's park standard that when you have a, a, a area that serves a thousand people, you need to have 1.8 acres of neighborhood park, 1.7 of community and an acre of regional park. And some of that we're gonna bring to you as here's the park they're gonna build and turn over to the city. And in some cases, here's the fees they're gonna pay to go do those things. 
but this is the, the general plan parks and recreation element is the basis for the city as for that conversation. And I'm going to keep going because there's a lot of things. Um, policy PRP 2.5, um, just to highlight one that's been relevant in the last couple of big development projects. This is where we're encouraging the development of turnkey parks. And this is really in recognition, even in 2015, that it's really hard to collect fees and build parks because as you're trying to get the land and build the park, all the costs are going up and the fees are coming in and there's not always intersecting. And that's why the last couple of big development projects that we've brought to the council have involved turnkey parks. It, it's, in, it's in furtherance of this specific policy. I'm going to keep going through public uh, facilities and services. I did want to note our general plan does talk about schools. It just uh, it recognizes that we don't have a lot of control over schools, but there are policies that support essentially encouraging the school districts to do things, um, which is is one of the roles that we play. There are policies that talk about cooperation and collaboration, and there are other policies um, kind of in that positive encouraging uh, sort of thing. Um, and then noise, noise actually came up with one of our recent projects. Just to highlight again, this one's very simple. Our, our general plan sets standards for what noise levels are acceptable for different land uses and shows where those noise levels are high and ultimately imposes restrictions on what can happen where. So this is another example of something that's handled at the high level in the general plan. And as the council sees projects, we start to talk about real specific things like closed windows and forced air ventilation or having open space or not having open space. But again, we start off with what our general plan says about uh, community acceptable noise levels for different kinds of uses. Okay, so at this point of the presentation, I'm just gonna pivot a little bit to some of those other implementation tools that I mentioned. So the general plan is the high level adopted vision. We have specific plans and in one, we still have one policy plan that get at a finer grain. Uh, we have development agreements that are literally a contract between a developer and the city for specific development projects. And those of course all go to council um, for approval. Um, and, and change um, subdivisions and just in general development review permitting is a big part of implementing the general plan. And these are these housing projects or commercial projects that will come your way. And then of course we have our zoning ordinance, which is our land use and development code that provides all those specific fine grain regulations. So this map, um, cause I would like to not show just pictures tonight. I mean, uh, text tonight. This map just shows you um, where our existing policy plan and specific plans are. And what, it, what, what the takeaway is, that the city has really successfully used both policy plans and specific plans as a planning tool to um, implement um, community design concepts. And so these are the ones that are currently in effect, including Lower Lagoon Valley, um, downtown specific plan, all the development east of Leisure Town that's currently approved. Um, and then of course the south, south area. Um, specific plans are essentially that they are the general plan for that area, but they get much finer grain than these big policies. They get down to literally like, where's your entry feature going to be? And what are these buildings gonna look like? And they provide vignettes to just really paint a more detailed picture. And so we use those um, really successfully in this community, both with the downtown specific plan for a more precise envision, vision, as well as implementation strategies. And then more recently, this is just a little snip from the green tree specific plan where we didn't just, the council didn't just approve a land plan that decided where housing was gonna go and where parks were gonna go. But there's also an entire urban design component that shows how over time, and this is just one piece of the green tree project, this is gonna be a community with a lot of trees and a lot of attractive places for people to walk. And it's gonna connect with the existing leisure town community. And again, in a specific plan, you can really, get into that visioning for a specific site. 
Speaking of maybe less exciting land use tools, um, zoning is not as exciting as these other things I just described. It's really about regulations, like that the structure will be 10 feet from the property line and it will be no taller than 30 feet. And it's probably not as boring as that, but it is pretty much cut and dried uh, standards that implement the general plan. And so that's um, a lot of people think about what their property is zoned, but they're not necessarily thinking about what the general plan is and what the long-term vision is. Good news for most of us, those two things have to be consistent under state law. So we work to make that happen um, by bringing you guys occasional code amendments. Um, anyone is looking for zoning information can find it by either contacting my department or we have this open counter portal where someone can go in and do self-help to find zoning. So I think one of the takeaways from this presentation, I'm hoping that the council hears is that um, general plan and zoning is never, never has to be a mystery. You can contact my department, you can go online. Uh, we wanna help people understand the rules and the vision for, for their property. And I'm gonna skip that one. And this is the zoning map. Um, so this is where we have the general plan sets literally what's gonna happen where, and then the zoning map further subdivides the city into specific regulation areas. And this is just a little vignette for one part of the city to show how small some of those areas are. Okay, we're getting toward the end of my presentation. So let's talk about development agreements. Uh, this is a tool that we are able to utilize due to state law, which allows cities to enter into development agreements with developers. And these are a specific contract. So right now I just did, I have to update the next slide, but I can't because here I am presenting. We have 15 development agreements right now that are active for um, basically 15 dis discrete projects. And we have three that are currently um, in review. So we don't have hundreds or 50, but we do have a very good set of these. And these are always um, entered into for a specific term. Most development agreements are 20 years from the time that they go into effect. Sometimes it's shorter depending on the nature of the project and they have an expiration date. And the goal of the development agreement is to basically exchange benefits. So the idea is the city should get public benefits that are above and beyond what the city would get if we just were doing a permit process implementing zoning. And the developers also, in order to do an agreement with us, they want to get benefits too. So some of the things that um, developers are often looking for is flexibility on the phasing of their project, flexibility in the timing. They are really into getting more than just two years to go build their subdivisions. They like that longer term. Um, sometimes they're seeking to lock in fees. Um, they don't. They would like to not be subject to future law changes. They want to be vested under the current rules. Those are the kind of things they're looking for. What we as a city have been looking for more recently and agreeing to tree again is the best example is getting things like the turnkey parks that are envisioned in our plan and getting them built and dedicated at the right time to serve the community that they're intended to serve. Uh, we've also been getting, um, when there's a fiscal impact, impact analysis that supports it, community facilities districts that pay for police and fire services for an area that's a new development area. We have numerous general plan policies that talk about new development, not burdening existing development and not taking away from existing residents. So development agreement is a tool we used for those things. And we're, we're also just looking to see what else, what other public benefits we can get from development projects. And those things, we as a staff, are, we negotiate with the developers, but everything, and I mean everything, rolls up to the council because you're the ones that decide whether or not um, we're gonna do a development agreement and what the terms are gonna be. Um, and keep, keep cruising here. Um, and I did want to mention, this is the slide I wanted to update, but I didn't have a chance. So we have about 15 active development agreements, three ones pending. 
And a topic that's come up in the past is how does the city annually review our agreements? And we have an active work plan now. And so the council should expect to be receiving updates soon as we're checking in on each and every one of our agreements, doing an annual review. And we will, we have at least one that's gonna be coming in for an extension. And that's the kind of thing that, that will directly come to council uh, for your consideration when the time is right. Okay, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the development impact fee program, especially with our two new council members. It was significant that last year due to a lot of work, mostly by Gwen and Public Works, I wanna make sure she gets the credit to get the city's um, impact fee program completely revised. It had not been updated in 30 years. And so the fees that we had set for parks were too low. Some of the fees we set for other things were actually too high, couldn't be. So, it was a huge effort. So now that that has actually been updated, this is actually a tool for implementing the city's general plan. When someone comes in to build, let's say a new um, uh, biotech facility, they pay impact fees that are structured to essentially pay for the um, sewer and water infrastructure that's necessary to make that project happen. Same thing with housing projects. When they come in, most significantly under the new program, they will actually pay their fees based on house size which means that people will no longer be like constrained from doing nothing but really large houses because when you don't have a tiered system, you don't have that incentive. So this change is a huge tool for getting maybe some more housing variety as envisioned by our general plan and also for spurring more investment in our community based on some of those changes that were made. Okay, the development review process. Um, this could be an entire training topic, but I will not get into all the details today because we have more time together in the time ahead. What I want to say is that this diagram simplifies a highly technical and almost like sport process in a really simple way. But what it's trying to show you is that anything that's happening with land development at the top is informed by the general plan, which is implemented through zoning. Development review process responds to the general plan, the zoning. Everything rolls up to the decision maker and for big projects that's the council and the council is actually in charge of the general plan. So I just think if you think about land development, it is all informed by the general plan and the zoning regulations that are part of that. And it's all um, and so led by the city council. Um, development review process simply put has kind of two different kinds of review. At city council, you will see items that are undergoing discretionary review. These are things where the city has policies and regulations and you get to make a decision. Now we've noticed lately that some of the things are coming to you come with certain constraints from state law. That's not all projects that will come to you. You will get projects where it's more of the, the normal kind of development review project. And that's where a discretionary review means there'll be a public hearing, there'll be robust public notification. There's a lot of public engagement. Again, though, it focuses on how the project is consistent with the general plan and the zoning. A ministerial review is actually where the bulk and mass of development at the city happens. These are people in they're in our building department. We're doing thousands of building permits a year. They're over in public works getting encroachment permits. Some of it is building an approved apartment complex. Some of it is putting in a new water heater. Some of it is making certain roadway improvements. So those are like the two major components of our development review process. Involves multiple departments. It implements a general plan, and it also involves significant public input and, and transparent decision-making, particularly the discretionary review things. I think the last point I wanna make about development review is that in my experience with various cities and, and, and talking to people out there who build things, when a development review process is perceived as fair and well-managed, that can be a huge incentive to for developers to work in our community. And the best example lately for this city was the Transwestern Project. You know, they're out there telling the world how excited they are that in less than a hundred days, 
they had their planning approvals and they're over and getting in our building to process now looking to pull their building permit to start construction um, in June or May or June. And, and that's really exciting. When a development review process is perceived by developers as uncertain, as in they, they write us and we don't write them back, huge chunks of time pass, we change our mind, we tell them different things, that can definitely disincentivize investment in the community. And so that's part of why in my role as community development director, my job is to help make sure our development review process moves as smoothly as it can, again, based on that general plan vision and all of the regulations that I talked about earlier. Last topic tonight for me, I think, depending on the questions, is about our public involvement. So the city actually updated the public involvement strategy back in 2021, right before I started. And it talks about different kinds of public involvement that just notifying people sort of the bare minimum, information sharing through a community meeting creates dialogue or by calling staff and asking questions, exchange of ideas is when you really are taking in the input and actually like it's a two-way street and then formal public input, the person that writes the letter to council and you get to read it or they come talk at council. So it was recognized you know, in the, in the 20s that we wanted to improve our public involvement. These days, and this has been something that's been piloted over the last year, we are doing more than ever to try to get people to be aware of what's happening in their neighborhood. So as you council members are seeing things like these early notices of application for new projects, we are sending those out within two weeks of the new project coming in. And a lot of times the first question is, what is this project? What's happening with it? Oh, it's like, no, no, we just want you to know it's here. We've got time. And so we're doing that because that's a way of helping people get more involved in our community because they know what's going on. Uh, the other thing we've been doing is city sponsored neighborhood meetings. And I know that the city's had them in the past and they've had developer sponsored ones. We're deliberately doing these meetings early in the development review process so we can let people know what we know, what's proposed, what we know about the project, and we can hear their concerns and questions early. We may have more than one community meeting for some of these projects, but the goal is to have an opportunity for dialogue before we're here in front of planning commission or council to make a decision. Um, and so the goal is to actually hear from folks. And then also our website continues to be a work in progress, but we really have been adding a lot more information about pending projects. Uh, people can access almost anything from any of our project files online. If they don't know how, my staff can train them how to do it. I'm marginally good at it, but they're better. Um, but our goal has been to really find ways of getting people to so they can feel informed and they can participate as early as possible. So that was my presentation. Um, again, the general plan is important. It is the city's adopted vision and we have a lot of tools for implementing it. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh in short uh, presentation, I know it's very complex. And I would also just say thank you to staff that has to stay up with all the law changes and make this happened and also serve the interest of the council in trying to understand the direction. So this will be very informative. Um, I do agree that for those in, in your shop, you love maps, love maps, I get it. So. Uh, council member Chapman. Thank you. First and foremost, I need, I owe you an apology. Um, I was, I was supposed to have attended one of the um, Zoom meetings that was held uh, and I was double booked and I wasn't able to make it or notify you in time. So my apology for that. Thank you. All right. Can you expound on urban reserve? 
going to pull up the general plan map. It's not the best because it's pretty small, but it'll help for the discussion. So when the city um, up did the 20-year the comprehensive update to the general plan back in 2015, there were areas of the city, and on this map, I can't remember, it's the pink. It's those pink areas on the right of the screen um, that are above the sort of yellow into the just to the left of the purple. Um, these are areas that were not planned for development in 2015. They were set aside as future development areas. So the pink areas along Leisure Town Road, um, generally south of the, um, the rural community, Lock Patton, that's all land that our general plan says could be unlocked for residential development, but only if that land is necessary to serve our 20-year build-out. Um, so the urban reserve is something that staff is currently studying. We did an initial report of the land we have for development, the pipeline projects. We did some development outreach, came to council, went, did more outreach, and that report is um, going to be presented to the planning commission in the next couple of months. Fundamentally, the council will decide based on land availability and land and residential demand, whether or not we wanna plan these lands for housing now or whether or not we want to wait till later, but they are identified as future housing areas. All right, that was my only question. There may be more questions, but for now, I'm going to open it up to public comment. Seeing that, I'm going to close the public comment and uh, some interesting thoughts and maybe um, a question here, and that is, is I am glad to see that focusing on how to deliver in the short term versus the, the same old question of when is there going to be a park built? And so as, you know, as we move forward and we invest in how we go about development and having development agreements and all that goes into this, I think it's important to, as a council, but as a community, understand what is the best strategy. I often ask the question, what's working here. Then if you could get a group uh, together and have a, a robust discussion from people who do business here, but maybe do business elsewhere to say, what do you like about the experience here? World of development is a, it's one of the, the, the single greatest uh, responsibilities that the city does do is provide the infrastructure and, and all that goes into the development world. Second, though, is, is what is working elsewhere? And uh, one of the things that I heard you say is that is the benefit out of a development agreement. Could you explain uh, maybe in further detail advantages or disadvantages when we start looking at, at um, I look at Southtown and recognize that it's a large area and we watched it grow and develop, but we, we've seen it in these smaller segments. Are there better strategies moving forward? I mean, we don't have the urban reserve open now, but um, the idea of having the greatest benefit in this, this master planning, we can all just name other cities I won't because I'm not going to advertise for them, but we know when we go there and say, this is wonderful. And so are, the, are there any foreseeable strategies that still are untapped, even though we, we have the pressures of Sacramento? What do you, what do you think? I think I'll start and see if the city manager wants to add anything, but part of it is that in the past, it's not totally clear to me as I read our development agreements, just how hard the city has pushed to get really tangible public benefits versus 
been excited about new development and kind of welcomed it and championed it. So one of the greatest things I think about the greatest things we can try to accomplish and we can accomplish with development agreements is truly locking down when certain promised improvements are going to happen. Because as a city, we don't control the economy. Developers, they don't control the economy. But in a development agreement, we can lay out the triggers for different things to be built. So whether that's completing an important roadway segment that is going to benefit a broader area than just the development, or whether it's completing that public park. Um, there are communities that do negotiate for schools. They get schools as part of their development agreements. I mean, there's a lot of things that development agreements can accomplish. I think those part of us pushing, which we should push and get good public benefits, we still have to recognize that this is an agreement with a developer and they have to want to be at the table and it has to be possible for them to be at the table. So it's figuring out, I think the best thing is figuring out positive things that we can make sure happen at the, the time that's expected that benefit the new residents and to the best we can also benefit our existing residents of Vacaville. I don't know if um, city manager Bush wants to add anything to that. Um, I appreciate the response. And, and I think the thing that I will just add, uh, Mr. Mayor, in response to your question is, is that um, like any tool it's just, you know, how familiar are you with it and how much experience do you have? And I think that the thing that, um, you know, we've demonstrated here recently is with the passage of the green tree specific plan is a, a greater awareness and a greater comfort with how to use that tool and these other tools that we have here. And how do we lock in those things that do add more immediate benefit for the community and provide surety for the developer? Because as Ms. Morris mentioned, um, developers are looking for certainty. They're looking for predictability um, and, and uh, fairness. And so one of the things that we are absolutely um, building on here in the city of Vacaville is evidenced by um, you know, the success with the Transwestern project is, is that we are um, building a, a new reputation of being accountable, being predictable, being fair, reliable. Uh, that goes a long way. Uh, and I can assure you from my experience in being in community development for many years. And so, we're putting that into practice now with these new development agreements and these new tools. And the thing that I think that is very important why I wanted to bring this as the kickoff topic for the council, as well as the subsequent topics that we're gonna be bringing to you all is, is that that's one of the fun things about being in local government is, is that the local rules are controlled here at the local government level. And so if there's something that the council wants to modify, we can generally do that because we're the ones writing the rules. And that's based on community input and your feedback and the vision that you all want and the policies that you want to put in place. And so what hopefully we shared with you tonight in a very short condensed time, but there's a lot of great information in there. Um, and I know that you probably feel like you're drinking from a very big, you know, waterfall right now. But the, the fact is, is that there's a lot of moving pieces um, out there and the, the, very generic vision statement that you saw in the general plan is just that. And I'm guessing that with seven council members, you can probably get 18 different answers of what those, you know, that very broad purpose uh, vision statement means. And so that's where we wanted to make sure that we're all going in the same direction and on the same page, because these tools that we've shared with you tonight build on each other. And it really, you know, creates that predictable process that we then turn into a very solid um, high quality product. And again, I think what you're going to see when Green Tree actually starts getting under construction and the triggers that Ms. Morris mentioned 
um, and all the work about taking care of existing infrastructure deficiencies and things of that nature through the development agreement process that go above and beyond what we normally can do, um, that will show you what these tools can really do. And so um, we are committed to that. And this is why we wanna come back to the council to make sure that we are implementing your true vision for the community so that as we do go forward into these uh, partnerships with the development community, that we have a clear understanding of what it is that you want so that we can push for that, that raise the bar higher. Cause each time that's our goal is to keep building on that success. Um, because in my experience in the development world, uh, quality begets quality. Um, because the investors know that we're not just gonna require a high standard project for their property, but it's gonna be required on the property next door to them. So they're making a worthwhile investment that will be protected because those same policies and procedures are being apply, applied consistently and equitably to every project that comes into um, our counters. So I appreciate the opportunity to, to share. Thank you. Councilmember Chavin. Thank you. Quick, simple question. When you're creating the, uh, when you're meeting with a developer, creating that uh, agreement, who is around the table? So um, typically it will be the department heads or a designee and the city manager will be actively involved um, in that as well. But it's really, it is your staff, it's your executive team's leadership that's sitting with the developer and their team. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that there are lawyers, um, lots of lawyers. Um, we have our lawyers at the table, they have their lawyers at the table because fundamentally what comes out of the negotiations is a legal agreement that goes back and forth and back and forth to get to the point where it's a shared a shared vision or shared contract. Um, the community is also at the table though, and I, it, I have to say this because if the like we have a new development agreement that comes in, we're gonna have a neighborhood meeting, we're gonna talk about what the project is, what the developer wants to build, we're gonna talk about the fact there's a development agreement, and that's an opportunity to get community input on what are the things that are important to the community. And Green Tree, again, sorry to pick on the same example, it's a good example though, there was a super active community that was at the table with staff and with a developer, not in the development agreement negotiations, but in a parallel process that really helped staff on behalf of the city and ultimately the council approve the agreement, make sure we were tuned up to what the community was looking for. Okay. Um, at any time, is the superintendent or representative from the school district around the table? Because yes. oftentimes, they are. Yes, we, we, we discuss all development projects. Sorry to cut you off, I hope I'm, I'm answering your question though. We discuss all development projects once a week at Project Review Committee and there is always a representative from Vacaville Unified at those meetings and they do provide us feedback on development projects. And then in the case of specifically the North Village development, which are coming back to council, they've been involved in all kinds of discussions with us about the agreement, the development agreements between the city and the developer, but they have their own agreement and they've been a partner in making sure that we understand where they're coming from and they understand where we're coming from. Thank you. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I appreciate the presentation. Uh, covers a lot of stuff. Uh, it's really good. Uh, was it last year, two years ago, where I attended the planning commissioner's conference with you? Uh, I found that very, very informative, actually more useful than probably the new mayors and council members uh, academy, because land use is kind of my gray area. Some other stuff I was familiar with just from being working around government, but um, yeah, this is still probably the 
area that I know least about just because the depth of knowledge that goes into each of those subjects. So I really appreciate these updates um, and appreciate what you talked about, about the development agreements, because I know I was fairly critical you guys are in Southtown because one of the big things is like, why did the development agreement expire? And then most of the council had no idea that it really expired. So I think the annual review and regular updates would be useful. So we're not caught off guard by constituents saying, why, why did you guys let this expire? And that way we can, if it's publicly known, be like, hey, this is expiring in like six months and developers not working with us. We're more prepared for the stuff that'll come up. Um, kind of on these topics, I think one thing that'd be useful, I know I'd find it useful myself is, because um, I don't know what I don't know. Uh, uh, you're probably familiar with ILG that provides all learning stuff. If there's any information or specific articles, resources that you know of that you think would be very useful for us to know, because I can dive through there all day on the thousands of articles and reports that they have and have no idea what's the most useful to me and could get lost in it. So you being the subject matter expert, I think it'd be very useful to be like, hey, read these like five things. I'll give you a good overview on the topics we discussed or was that was presented during the council meeting. Happy to do that. We're also working on bringing some more land use training to Solano County in partnership with our other county partners as part of our um, contract with PlaceWork. So there's some more localized training coming in addition to, I'm happy to send the council materials about planning matters. Thank you, appreciate it. I don't see any other lights. I'll just uh, close this by saying that I do appreciate my personal opportunity to sit in on some meetings and interactions. And what I've learned is, is that part of uh, the responsibility with staff in, in working through any change is the process of educating and informing what the differences are in bringing the developers and those uh, stakeholders along. Uh, you, you said it, but um, to be client-centric from the get-go. So the, the outcomes are far more um, achievable with, uh, with uh, fewer and fewer unmet expectations. I think that's the goal, is to, is to have the development world pleased to work with Vacaville at the same time. We can hold to the council's vision and direction and, and do so in a way that uh, is both responsible, but also gets the community the, the best uh, future that we can possibly get when it comes to land use. With that, I just wanna say thank you for the presentation. I'm sure there'll be more uh, to come as we continue to learn, so I appreciate that. Next on the agenda is um, item 10, reports of the city management. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. I just have one quick item and I hope my team's gonna pull it up here on the board. It's just a simple reminder about um, our community cleanup event this weekend on Saturday, April 15th. Uh, we're in search of some additional volunteers for that particular event. Um, there is information on the website since we don't have it up here, um, but it's I think our sixth or fifth or sixth event uh, that we've done in uh, just two and a half years. Um, it's all about going out into the community and helping um, make a difference in there. And so um, if you're interested in volunteering, um, we'll be out in District 6 um, on Needham. And uh, again, thanks to all the staff that's been working very hard on that uh, to bring that out to our community and to those volunteers uh, that will be out there uh, with us on Saturday. With that, uh, we'll move on to item 11, reports of the city council. Council member Roberts. Yeah, um, 
Thank you. Not to conflict with the city manager's event. It's also Earth Day this weekend, I believe. Saturday. So yeah, there's also the the county thing. Uh, another ask, another thing, which I believe our fire explorers are going to be at is Wildfire Expo in Fairfield, where a lot of the fire departments getting together and nonprofits talking about wildfire safety. Uh, so that's another good event going on. Um, I did have one question for staff after reading this flyer. I know you, this is awesome that you're doing the fair housing workshop. Uh, is this the only time and date that this workshop is gonna be occurring? Or is there gonna be another follow-on that's gonna happen outside normal business hours? Yeah, so at this time, that's the only uh, fair housing workshop we had planned for the year. Um, just based on staffing and the amount of time it takes to gather the yeah. presenters and do the outreach. Um, we can look at doing it more frequently and at different hours in the future, for sure. I mean, one thing, it's not, it's not just uh, your department, but other things like Parks and Rec every once in a while is, yeah, the people that I think would be able to utilize this the most, this is during their work time. And so asking them to take time off from their yeah, like I mentioned earlier, their paid job to attend this, whereas I think the demographic you're looking for hosting outside normal business hours, either in the evening or a weekend, they would benefit the community a lot more uh, to do it in those types of hours. I appreciate the feedback. I would mention in the past, we've um, only invited landlords. So this year it's kind of new for us. And it during the workday, they go to workshops and are able to you know yeah. get away because they're they're the owners of the properties. So this is the first year we've incorporated um, tenants. So um, we'll definitely keep the time of the workshop or maybe do a couple um, in the future for sure. Yeah, I, I do think it's awesome and very much needed. I just think, yeah, to reach most people, like yeah, doing one during the business day because some people have different days off or different hours of work. So I think, yeah, one in the morning, but also either one in an evening or a weekend, you can reach more amount of people where, this would be useful because I know especially like tenant laws and rent delinquency are big issues right now coming out of COVID and people changing jobs. Uh, so yeah, definitely fully support this. I hope a lot of people attend. I just think having an, an alternate one at different set of time to reach other people would be very useful for the community. Thank you. Council member Silva. Thank you. Um, so Quick announcement to the public. Um, anybody who has a small business or interested in um, creating a small business or uh, had a small business and uh, wants to uh, keep uh, keep me and council informed, um, have a listening, listening session scheduled on April 26th, uh, round eight. Uh, I forget the time now. I'll be there at 8 a.m. Um, 8 a.m. at uh, Eladis Community Center. So there's a Again, a listening session for small businesses uh, to kind of go to the point what's working well and um, what uh, what you know what areas that we can improve on, just to make sure that we're apprised of the information. Um, so I know there's a Brown Act. I can hear Melinda right now, uh, concerned, but um, you know, for you guys, you guys are more than welcome. Uh, so that's in collaboration with Chamber of Commerce. And uh, next month, I plan on scheduling a, a listening session. Uh, focused on elder care, uh, so looking at uh, different, just hearing back from different families and and uh, different uh, services that are out there. So that'll be coming out uh, next month. Thank you. 
Councilmember Stockton. Um, yes, <clears throat> two things. I wanted to thank staff. I called staff, I think more this past two weeks than I have probably in the last two years and staff was incredibly responsive. Aaron, you and your team do a great job. Um, Public Works, uh, Parks and Rec, um, Brian and Reggie and, and just everybody with answering questions and getting me information to get to my constituents. I just really wanted to thank the staff for, for being uh, so great at getting back to us with all our requests. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is that this Thursday at um, Solano Community College, the, fair, the, the campus in Fairfield is having a career fair. So if you know folks that are out and about and looking uh, to either start their career or find a new one, um, from eight until one o'clock out on Sassoon Valley Road, Solano Community College is going to have quite a bit, um, a, a variety of vendors out there from a, from different professions, and everyone is hiring. Everyone is looking for for talent, and and so um, if you know anyone uh, that's that's looking, I, hopefully our staff's happy, and they're not going to be there. But uh, if you know anybody that's happy, um, you know it's a great opportunity to maybe find something uh, local. So I just wanted to make sure the public was aware of that. Yeah, sorry, uh, one thing I forgot because it's gonna happen before the next council meeting is Vacville is doing Vacacon again on the 22nd. Uh, it's a great event. Uh, if you happened to be there last year, you probably saw a few of us council members are fully decked out in costumes and running around judging the cosplay costume competition. Uh, so yeah, it's a great event. It gets bigger each time. It, it comes through town and it's, yeah, it's fun. So yeah, take kids out there and uh, yeah, see what Parks and Rec is working on. Thank you. Uh, just a quick comment. Uh, we certainly are starting to see some senior days versus the, the rainy days, but uh, received a lot of complaints and you may have experienced the, the, the backups on the freeway. We know that we're gonna be in this condition for a while. <laughs> speaking with the Sloan Transportation Authority, they're, they're going to be putting up some signage uh, throughout the project, trying to inform the, uh, the drivers that are coming through what to expect because this unmet expectation is gonna last for a while. But one of the projects that they started working on is trying to do some of the restriping. Um, I've experienced it where you're driving down the road, especially on a dark or rainy night, and you don't know what lane you're in and it, it's, uh, it's a real risk. I'm thankful that they're doing that work. Uh, both myself and the mayor from Fairfield kind of pressed them to do something for safety. Um, it, those are those are things that we have to be careful with because all too often, even our first responders, police and fire are responding to the freeway to some really difficult situations and safety is important. So just to comment on that. And then lastly, uh, not for any action tonight, but it's uh, I've been thinking about some of the discussions we've had uh, here on the council and even what was in some of the staff report that we didn't really even talk about, but it was on the slide. And that is, is looking strategically within our community for whether it's the, the school uh, systems or businesses and look for um, things that really can be an advantage to us as a city. We've experienced over the years having shared use agreements. And I just hope that as a city that we can really begin to focus on this maybe in the whether here uh, in front of council or on May 12th, but I just believe that there's a real opportunity for some, some focusing on how do we leverage our current relationship with our, our stakeholders, especially in the education systems that we have here in Vacaville. So uh, with that, um, we're gonna move on to um,
closed session, but uh, I'm going to open it up to the public. We do have two items tonight that are uh, existing litigation. Um, so items A and B. But, uh, I will make a comment, and that is, is we may have something to report out tonight. We may not, but I just wanted to make make notice that we it's possible that we might have something to report out tonight. So I'm going to open it up to the public. Being then, I'm going to close the public comment of closed session, and uh, we're going to go into closed session now. And so we're going to adjourn. Good night, Vacaville.